Hey guys, Montel here, and welcome to this edition of Let's Be Blunt with Montel. My guest today earned her bachelor's degree, bachelor's of science degree in nursing from Boston College. She's founding member of Cannabis Nurses Network, International Association of Psychedelic Nurses, and on the editorial advisory board for Cannabis Rx Magazine. She's on a board of directors for the American Cannabis Nurses Association and is a contributing author in the first cannabis nursing book and textbook, Carrie S. Clark's Handbook for Nurses. She's an award-winning podcast, The Green Nurse Podcast, sharing compelling stories of healing and decreasing the stigma around using plants as medicine. Sherry Tuckus, thank you so much for joining us today on Let's Be Blunt with Montel. Thank you so much for having me. It is an honor to be here. I am all about let's getting blunt about cannabis as medicine, for sure. That's what we've got to all do. I think it's time that the nation wakes up and gets a little bit more blunt about it itself. Why don't you tell let's back up a little bit before we get in, jump right in and tell me a little bit about your background. Where'd you grow up? Well, I grew up in, I grew up in quite a few places, but my last few years I um, spent in the Midwest, in Cincinnati, Ohio, went to college in Boston and spent the next 30 years in Massachusetts. I went to Boston College. When I graduated, I started working at the big teaching hospitals in Boston worked at Beth Israel Deaconess Medical Center, Brigham and Women's Hospital, and Children's Hospital. So I have had a very, very rich career from pediatrics to geriatrics in multiple different places um, within the hospital and home setting. When did you, when did the itch to become a nurse hit you? Also, the itch to become a nurse when I was 10 years old. I had wow. a little brother who was one, and he went tumbling down the driveway, landed right on his head, Cracked his head oh. open. I ran down, grabbed him, took my sock off, put the sock on his forehead, carried him up to the house. And my mom goes, she would be a really good nurse. And that was it. Mm. Stuck. Stuck. And from that point on, you wanted to do everything you could do to become one, huh? Yeah. To help people, right? Relieve suffering and improve quality of life. Wow. it's great. And when did you start thinking about, so you did that for quite a while, but when did you think about entering the cannabis world? Well, Montel, I ended up on the other side of the bed in 2012. I got a hospital-acquired infection, ended up in the intensive care unit, and almost died. My entire microbiome was wiped out. I had an infectious disease. I was in the intensive care unit, and all of my systems started to not work so well. I was sent home, placed on disability, wasn't able to work. I started down the spiral I call um, of the pills and procedures type of interaction that many patients have. Was this brought on by like an opportunistic infection that you got at the hospital while you were working? Or yeah, was it, was while, it was while I was working. I wasn't the only one that got sick, but I was literally the only one that ended up hospitalized. Wow. Yeah. And so basically it destroyed my gut, destroyed my microbiome. I developed autoimmune conditions, multiple chronic myofascial pain, anxiety, depression, PTSD due to the pills and procedures, surgeries being denied. And I developed agoraphobia. That's probably the one thing that is just very, very interesting that people don't understand as it's related to PTSD, mental health, and when patients are experiencing what I call medical and pharmaceutical trauma by the conventional system. So on the other side of the bed, I was circling the drain of despair. I was on over 18 pharmaceuticals. Nothing was helping me. And it was a 70-year-old nurse who came to my home with a joint. And she said, let's get blunt, pretty much. She said, Sherry, get with the program. Cannabis has been around for hundreds of years. 
And I want to disclose something to you. I have been using cannabis since I was 17, she said. 53 years of using cannabis every wow. single day. And I've never been hospitalized and I'm not on any ongoing pharmaceuticals. Then she disclosed that her father was a pharmacist in Boston and his pharmacy carried over 600 preparations of cannabis formulations within the pharmacy. Wow. But that, but that was a time when that was illegal. Yeah, this was way back in the 1920s. And, and so he, you know, so she disclosed information to me that I never learned about it. We never learned about cannabis and in nursing school. You know, we were we were plagued with the stigma. You know, it was a drug. It was, you know, not a good thing. And so it was we were, you know, as nurses, we were never told or taught about the endocannabinoid system. So basically, the 70 year old nurse came to my house. She gave me a joint. At this moment in time, I was on over 18 pharmaceuticals and I literally had chronic suicidality due to the severe pain. I was a single mother of three, not able to work, not able to take care of my children. And I was desperate. And so I inhaled the cannabis. The first, first puff, completely relaxed. Second puff, the pain went away. Third puff, I felt like I was pulled out of my body and I was able to see things from a bigger perspective. And that immediate sense of relief from a pain from a 10 to a zero. Chronic suicidality to having that aha moment. Wow, there's a plant. And literally that compelled me to start on a journey of using cannabis as medicine. I got my medicine. And how many years ago was that? About how many years ago that was that? That was in 2013, 14, to the end of 13, beginning of 14. So cannabis was medically legal in Massachusetts in 2012. So. Gotcha. So you shifted over then for your own life. And then, then when did you decide that you wanted to share this with others and make this part of your you know, professional career? Well, when I learned I had an endocannabinoid system. In 2018, the National Council State Boards of Nursing, which is the nursing regulatory board that puts out the NCLEX exam for all nurses to have their particular license in, in each individual state, they wrote in the Journal of Nursing Regulation, a 64-page document on cannabis as medicine. And they had six essential areas. They put out a call to action that all nurses nursing students, advanced practice nurses, nurse practitioners must have six essential areas of knowledge when it comes to cannabis as medicine. So that to me was a huge aha moment, specifically since I never learned about cannabis as medicine, nor was I ever taught about the endocannabinoid system. And this must have, I, 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 I excuse my language when I say this must have really pissed you off knowing that, you know, go back 12 years before your aha moment, the medical world knew more, not that's 12 years, 20 years before your aha moment, the medical world had known about this thing called the endocannabinoid system, but actually literally didn't tell anybody about it. Didn't tell anybody. You know, it was prohibited, as you know, due to many different things, the paper industry, the tobacco industry, the pharmaceutical industry, the alcohol industry have prohibited and the American Medical Association had approved of cannabis. They actually did not want it to be taken out of the out of the pharmacopoeia. And it was that goes all the way back to 1932. Yeah, right. Yeah. No, I'm sorry. 1942 It was 19 it was 1937. The Marijuana Tax Act yeah. that made it illegal. Sorry. 1939 was when, you know, doctors all jumped aboard and said this was one of the most egregious things that uh, the medical world could do to patients and 
it took us, what, 60 years, 70 years before we started to understand that maybe they were wrong? Yeah, exactly. And, you know, as a nurse, my job is to care. The essence of nursing is human caring, and that's caring for the entire human experience, regardless of what patients decide to utilize to treat themselves. So that propelled me on a journey to get into the space of cannabis nursing. And at the time, you know, there were not a lot of practitioners out there that I knew. I got my medical card and the doctor said, good luck. And I'm like, now what? Well, guess what? We're the now what? People are making great medicines. People are selling great medicines, but no one's truly teaching patients how to use cannabis as medicine. And that's what we do. So I started to propel on the journey of learning about cannabis as medicine and seeking out other nurses. I joined the American Cannabis Nurses Association, the Cannabis Nurses Network. I started studying and reading. And, and wait, when, when did the Cannabis Nurses Network start and association start? What, what year was it? So they, they've been around for a while, but they haven't been advertised. I really honestly don't know the exact year, but I've been involved with them since the beginning, since I started, since I discovered them in 2016, 17 and 18. You know, started well, if there's an association and a network, that means that there are some medical professionals who are starting to seek out education and on a broader scale. Is that right? Yes. And so basically, you know, nurses are the most trusted profession for over 20 years in a row. And so I found these nurses that also found the plant, many of them, you know, with their own compelling stories of healing and some of them in the space because their families were actually growing it as medicine. And so part of my journey wasn't only seeking out these medical professionals because I was plagued with stigma. That was part of it. So what I ended up doing was I sought out other groups within the community, whether it be recreational groups, advocacy groups, activist groups, and caregiver groups to truly learn how and why they were doing this. How are you doing this? Why are you doing this? I wanted to get involved with the plan. I wanted to figure out how to make up my own medicine. And I needed to learn from people that were in the grassroots community. I needed to learn about what they were doing and how they were helping people because that was the evolution that we needed to take. There was, you know, these other nursing communities were new. Like I said, I was plagued with stigma. I didn't want anyone to know. One of the first times of my gatherings of going to one of these sessions is I showed up and I, you know, I was like incognito and I said, oh, they're probably not going to even notice me because they're probably going to be too stoned. Well, the opposite was true. They opened up their arms to me. They embraced me as a clinician, as a nurse. You know, it was it was very, very humbling to be embraced into a community specifically since I didn't know what I didn't know. And I didn't know that I didn't know it. <laughs> so, right. right. Well, it's, I find it, but let's let's talk a little bit more about other professionals. I mean, what, what do you think is going on right now? I mean, it's been around, we've been around now. We have, what, over 38 states, the District of Columbia. We're probably going to have another five or six. I think we're, I'm sorry, I made me off my number. I said 38, but I think we're up to 42 states now in the District of Columbia. And, um, you know, it's legal. Uh, either recreationally or medically in almost 85% of America. And so uh, are you starting to see more professionals get on board, more professionals get on board at least trying to find out more information, or do you think that the stigma still exists today? Both. I think the stigma still exists today, but I'm also seeing more and more professionals come on board because that's what we do is we actually train healthcare professionals 
on how to use cannabis and medicine as medicine within their practice if their patients are using it. And we also provide them with resources and tools. And, and the thing is, is they, they didn't learn about it either. You know, it go, you go back to even nutrition. You ask doctors how much they learn about nutrition and they literally don't get very much. So of course, you know, with prohibition, they have completely re removed that educational piece. But once health professionals actually go down that rabbit hole, there's no going back. Because the deeper you go and the more you learn, the more you realize that you don't know. And it is extremely humbling every single day to wake up and to read new research, to read new articles, to reach new... And, and what people don't understand, well, they're stopped. I don't want to interrupt you. I'm so sorry. But, you know, just for our listeners and viewers to understand that in the last 10 years, there's been over 35,000 peer-reviewed studied documents published on cannabis the last two years alone about 3500 each year so the information is out there when you hear politicians say well when i do more research uh, it, it, you feel like reaching into the television screen and smacking somebody upside the head because all you got to do is read the research that's already there you know and i find it so so it just just dishonest and so ignorant when I hear from a doctor or I hear from somebody say, well, but you know, there's no scientific. I say, Dude, are you kidding me? I know. How crazy can you be? So, you know, this, this is a profession that's supposed to do no harm. They're supposed to be able to educate themselves to not be able to do harm. So therefore, you should start reading up on the data that's out there. I was just, just blown away that, you know, and we've known this now for 20 years that uh, cannabis has had an effect on cancer in multiple ways. Now we're starting to get really good defined information about what type of impact it can have on cannabis, I mean, it's on cancer. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's in, unbelievable the fact that, you know, um, we understand that different cannabinoids can literally attack and block the blood source that, can, that cancer can get from the body. I mean, there's just so many new things that are out there. I find it you know, disingenuous for somebody who calls themselves a medical professional to not want to at least study about what's already available. Well, here's the other thing that's really important for me for health professionals that I like them to know. Regardless of whether you believe in cannabis or not, you have an obligation as a clinician to learn about the endocannabinoid system because the endocannabinoid system is the largest neurotransmitter signaling system in our body. It regulates all 11 organ systems and all of those neurotransmitter signaling systems that give messages to tell our body to do something or not do something. And just as an example, serotonin signaling, dopamine signaling, uh, norepinephrine signaling, all of those different signaling systems contribute to how our body functions. So the bottom line is when I'm working with health professionals, I say, listen, I didn't know what I didn't know, but what you do need to know is every single therapy that you prescribe to your patient either positively impacts the endocannabinoid system or doesn't. There's no middle ground. So if you're prescribing a therapy that is going to downregulate your own receptors or allow the enzymes for not breaking down the endocannabinoids, what you're doing is you're starting a cascade and a host of other problems. So certain pharmaceuticals can downregulate the endocannabinoid system, can have an impact. So if you know what those pharmaceuticals are, what can you do to mitigate those side effects without adding on another pharmaceutical? 
And this has been something that people have to understand. We have known about this since the mid-80s. This isn't something that we just found out about yesterday. We knew about the endocannabinoid system when Dr. Mishulam said about his research to figure out how does THC work. So they found the receptors with the CB1, CB2 receptors, CB1 in the brain. It seems to be right now we only associate it with the uptake of THC, but we do know that we're going to find out that that CB1 is probably more than just one receptor. It's probably two to three. Go ahead. I'm sorry. You want to say something? Yeah. So this is just really interesting too. Another shoe drop for a lot of patients and a lot of clinicians is this. We have an endocannabinoid system, not because of the cannabis plant, but because Correct. we make molecules in our body like the plant. The big I, I, I say this to people all the time. Had you never touched the plant your entire life, I can test your blood and find endocannabinoids in it right now. The problem is, though, that they're probably, since you've never touched cannabis, which is an agonist to your endocannabinoid system, helping to make it respond to create more of those endocannabinoids, yeah. you probably don't have enough in you. And we're starting to find out that things like, you know, this is a stretch, but there are papers that have been written about it that seem to think that people on the spectrum have, you know, a, a um, I'm sorry, they don't have as much anandamide. Yeah. They have anandamide deficiency. And anandamide is one of those endocannabinoids. Yeah. And there's uh, what, 2AG, which is another one. When are the only two, there's only two chemicals in your body that actually run in a retrograde way, right? So we create internal endogenous cannabinoids upon demand, right? The agonist is to do something. The antagonist is to stop doing something. So cre create these molecules to tell your body to do this, to stop doing this. And the endocannabinoid system is a switchboard going on and off all day long. So if you're not producing enough of your own internal endogenous cannabinoids, that anandamide and 2-AG, messages don't get where they need to go. And what happens? We start to see dis-ease. We start to see other systems always trying to auto-compensate for what it's not getting. And then we start to see things start to fail. You know, um, the other thing with the endocannabinoid deficiency is so what we're looking at is not only do people either produce not enough, but also people might produce too many. And the too many also, if you're producing too many endocannabinoids, the anandamide and 2-AG, that, that can be responsible for metabolic disorders, diabetes, kidney function. The other thing with the balancing of the endocannabinoid system is the receptors. So we're creating CB1 and CB2 receptors upon demand. If we're out of balance, we're either producing too much or not enough. And it's the same thing with enzymes, you know, enzyme production, you know, the um, FA and the MAGL of producing the endocannabinoids and breaking them down. It's all a fine balance. And I guess what people don't want to don't seem to understand, and I, I guess no, I shouldn't take that back because there are now some universities across the country that are now including courses for doctors and for nurses like yourself so that they can understand the reason why you know, people do gravitate towards this plant because uh, this plant seems to help do help them do endogenously what they should be doing. And that is having a system that basically is like the Goldilocks zone. You know, it operates not too hot, not too cold, but just right. That's what that word homeostasis means, right? Yes. Homeostasis, balance among all organ systems. Cannabis is the only plant that acts as a pleiotropic. And what that means is working on multiple physiological systems all at the exact same time. 
right? So just imagine the plant comes in, it showers on your entire body. We have cannabinoid receptors on all of the cell surfaces of our organ systems, and we have cannabinoid receptors at those neurotransmitter signaling junction sites that connect things, right? And so we're- yeah, And what's exciting is the fact that, you know, we discovered this in 1988, Stop researching it in a way, and now that we've just started up again, we're going to start to find out, I think, that we, we thought we knew about the endocannabinoid system is just as, as elementary as, um, you know, our knowledge of space in a way. I mean, it, there's so much more to learn where, you know, we've identified those receptors with CB1, CB2, but I will bet you that within the next five years, they're going to discover a couple of more receptors because, you know, the plant itself has, you know, depending on who you want to listen to, whether it's Israel or Canada or, you know, Germany right now, the, the numbers are different. You know, the United States still thinks that we only got 65 and 65 cannabinoids, you know, Canada thinks it's 256. I think that might be a little high. I don't know. Um, Germany thinks it's around 230. So anyway, we don't even know how many cannabinoids actually truly exist in that plant. Mm -hmm. And we have not identified where they all are received. Mm -hmm. Yep, absolutely, absolutely right. So um, Professor Lumiere Hannes is the one that discovered the anandamide molecule. And so I had a conversation with him recently and we, we were like, okay, what's the update on the plant? How many constituents are actually in it? And he said over 1,800, not, not cannabinoids, but 1,800 constituents in the body. Flavonoids, terpenes, those things, yes. Bioflavonoids, mm -hmm. canaflavins, antioxidants you know, essential fatty acids. So all of these different, and he says, we have not isolated all of them. So it was very, very interesting just to even hear from him getting excited about more and more being discovered. So the research, you know, like people say, oh, we're scraping, you know, we're just scraping the tip of the iceberg. No, we're just standing on it, like literally. Absolutely. No, no, sure, truly. I, I always uh, equate it to the fact that we're like the Red Brothers pushing that wooden plane down a hill. Mm. You know, we haven't even figured out how to put a motor on it yet. And I mean, and how to put a jet on it. And then, oh, wait a minute, we could actually take it up above the atmosphere. Yeah, so there, there's so much more that needs to be learned. How do you engage your patients when it comes to cannabis? Do you have them start the conversation because they come to you and say, look, I tried this and what do you think? Or do you say to them, this may be something that you might want to consider? So we literally see patients from pediatrics to geriatrics. I'm a pediatric nurse as well. And so when patients are coming to us, they're usually coming to look up, you know, inquire about, could this possibly help me? A lot of patients that come to us are also desperate where they're on that lap. They don't know what's wrong with me. So how, when I hear a patient say, the doctors don't know what's wrong with me, you know what? I get excited. I go, I do. You probably have an endocannabinoid deficiency. And literally, when we just start to focus on that, we start to see things cascade. A lot of people come to us that want to get off of pharmaceuticals. A lot of people want to come to us that want to bridge the gap from what they're not getting from conventional care, make those certain pharmaceuticals work better so they don't have to increase their doses. We have helped people get off of opioids, people that have wanted to come off of fentanyl, heroin, alcohol. So we've been able to help them to safely incorporate that into their treatment plan. And just so people understand, there's research out there right now. You can look it up yourself. There's research from, like, uh, I think, uh, NYU. There's research from uh, uh, Brigham and Women's that says unequivocally that you can look at cannabis as not an ent a, a entry drug, but an exit drug, an exit drug for addiction of things like opioids and alcohol. And yes, people need to recognize its viability. Right? Absolutely. I came off of 18 pharmaceuticals over the course of two years using cannabis as medicine. 
my life has significantly improved and we're seeing the improvement of so many other lives. One of the things that people don't understand about pharmaceuticals that I like to mention, if you're on five or more pharmaceuticals, there's a 50% chance that the drugs are interacting. If you are on 10 or more pharmaceuticals, 100% chance that they're interacting in your body and probably not in your highest and best. Yeah, in a negative way. Yeah, absolutely. I, I would agree with you 100% on that. And I think what people need to understand, it's like, you know, you were talking about the fact that you uh, went through your medical issue and now have been able to get off. I mean, I, I literally have been as vocal as I can possibly be able to identify my autoimmune disease. But, you know, rather than wait for five years for symptoms to develop to then go digging around to see if I can find if cannabis would work. The day I got diagnosed um, with my illness, you know, for the first three months, um, I had doctors put me on a heavy doses of opioids to the point that I, I literally, and I have, I'm one of those people who have kind of like a, a mild opioid aversion. Um, uh, I don't necessarily, my body doesn't receive or ingest the opioid the way everybody else's does. And so you know, I, I started to notice very early on because I, I figured it out within the first three weeks that, you know, if one worked, two might work better, five might work better, seven might work better. And that was kind of ignorant. I was chasing opioids all over the country. And um, I had a doctor who literally was smart enough to say, look, dude, I'm not going to write you any more prescriptions, but I think you ought to check out this stuff called cannabis. So three months in, not waiting for my symptoms to get worse, I started using cannabis at the very early on onset of my illness. Oh, no, sorry, because my illness had existed probably for 15 years before I even knew it did. Mm -hmm. But before my symptoms got too egregious, I literally went on cannabis and I've never looked back. I mean, I'm one of those same people that you talk about that has used cannabis now for close to mm, 22 years straight, uh, not missing a day. Um, and, you know, I'm often asked, why well, I didn't, wow, you still have that illness? I didn't even know you had that illness. I, it doesn't know how are you doing. You're doing so great with your illness. Well, you know, I can't say 100% that it's been only the cannabis that's working, yeah. but I will tell you 100% that the cannabis has been a contributor to why I do as well as I do. Absolutely. And like, like I had said before, we teach how to make cannabis work better because there's other things that you can do to support and nourish your endocannabinoid system. So pairing cannabis with other healing modalities, people have, see better results. Yoga breath work, walking in nature, grounding, <laughs> laughing, massage, even self-massage, taking other supplements, you know, boosting the body's response to how it integrate, you know, how it cannabis gets metabolized and distributed throughout the body. You know, it's very, very important not to expect cannabis to be the end all be all, but it's Correct. a tool in the toolbox. So when you're looking at cannabis therapy, right, you look at a pie, it's one piece of the pie. Everything that you do or don't do, right? I, I, say, I say it all the time. You don't go into battle with just a tank. Yeah. We go into battle with multiple different weapon systems to see if we can defeat the energy, the enemy. And that's what we need to do. It's the same thing doctors should look at. I mean, they, they can't go into the operating room and just have a scalpel. They have a whole myriad of tools that they use to actually achieve their results. And we need to have cannabis be one of those tools that they keep in their quiver just in case. Yes, absolutely. I'm actually presenting at the American Cannabis Nurses Association conference this year. And my topic is actually activating the endocannabinoid system, the art, right? Mm -hmm. What does it mean to activate the endocannabinoid system? And what are those tools that can do it? 
cannabis is one tool. So we talk about that, but we also talk about the other ones. And it's, right. yeah, it's compelling because it, because nurses, you know, are all about holistic healing. It's about biopsychosocial spiritual healing. And they understand holistic caring, holistic healing, these modalities. They understand pharmaceuticals. And now they're learning about cannabis as medicine and how do we integrate them all together? It doesn't have to be one or the other. I truly see it as a complementary approach. You know, lifestyle as medicine, you know, energized living, living your best life. Yeah. Don't you find it, though, just disturbing to know that like there are places around the world uh, where cannabis has been utilized in the hospital, like in Israel, Germany, for years now. When do you think that the United States will kind of get aboard? I mean, first off, it's it's ignorant to me that we have now had it available for as long as we've had it available. I'll tell you a very interesting story. I won't say with hospital, but, you know, I um, suffered a a pretty severe hemorrhagic stroke six years ago and five years ago. and. I was in a very, very prominent hospital, and um, I said when I finally woke up, because I literally, I, I had the type of stroke that should have killed me, uh, 50% of people who have that type of stroke do die from it, mm. and my first three days, I can't even remember, you know, all I remember is waking and going to sleep. I don't remember much other than that, but then on day three, when I woke up and I was able to be lucid enough to be able to, to recognize who was around me and what was going on, I had to get up and sit down. You know, but the first words out of my mouth to my doctor was, you know, okay, I have my own CBD brand and I want to use it. Yeah. And the doctor was like, and I said, I also have my own THC brand. I want to use it. Mm-hmm. At the same time that I'm using all this other shit that you're putting in me, I want to use that. And, you know, the the head of the, the hospital said, look, you know, I, I, I can't, I can tell you that you're not supposed to have any other medication that we didn't give you in this hospital. So I can't stop you from having something brought in and out of here to you because I can't check every single person who walks in. However, I'd feel more comfortable if you gave me what you have so we can send it down to our lab and they can take a look at it. I said, fine. I gave them my products. I said, take it down to your lab. They took it down to their lab, came back up and said, you can do this all you want, the CBD. Go ahead, do your thing. This one here, prefer you did not do that outside of your room anywhere else and anybody else can smell this. And I was like, okay, fine. And I was in the hospital for 30, oh, for 27 days. So from day three till day 27, I was on my utilizing my own augmented augmented medication for myself. And I think that's part of the reason why I recovered as quickly as I did. And I, and we, I'm sorry, you could, you know that all you have to do is anybody out there doesn't think so much. Oh, you can't say something like that. Well, hold on a minute. I can say this, our government, recognize how efficacious cannabinoids were to ischemic ischemic, uh, incidences back in 2002 when they signed a patent for cannabis themselves, for CBD themselves. They gave themselves their own own, uh, patent and in their abstract stated how well they thought it worked for neurological issues, neurological impact issues. Mm -hmm. And so this was back in 2002. So um, anybody who's, who questions me saying, well, I'm not sure if cannabis really worked out well, then you need to question your own federal government. And that patent still is in existence today. Absolutely. It is. And, you know, your question about when is it going to be accepted into hospitals? I think, honestly, it's going to wait until, in, until it's completely descheduled. However, however, with that being said, I have presented at multiple hospitals, at pain clinics, hospice, social work. PD, I mean, I've done a lot of presenting. And so my message to them is, you know, like I said, if you don't believe in it, 
They're, your patients are asking. This isn't going away. You can't put your- And your patients are doing it. They're doing it anyways. So, right. you know, you don't have to get on the cannabis, but you know, what you need to do is get on the bus of learning, right? Because you have an obligation to do no harm. You have an obligation to know everything that supports the endocannabinoid system and what doesn't. And so what we're seeing is a lot of clinicians now that are starting to go to these events and starting to learn. You know, we do a lot of webinars and we, do, we train professionals. And so when, if they can't do it for whatever reason, it's usually cognitive dissonance. You know, they have the information, but they just don't believe it yet. Mm -hmm. At least they're referring out, referring to us. Ryan's law also has come into effect where it's allowing, you know, patients that have end of life that they can bring their cannabis into the hospital and utilize it. And that's even being strict as well. There was one patient that I helped in Massachusetts get her cannabis into the hospital. She was petrified. So I went with her to the emergency room and I literally presented to the emergency room staff saying, if you want her in and out of the hospital to get this treatment, please allow her to have her cannabis. Her cannabis is like a diabetic's insulin. Okay. So you take it away. She does not produce enough of her own internal endogenous cannabinoids. So let's come up with a plan to help her get the care that she needs because she has to be here without taking away something that has been working for her for years. And so they allowed that to happen. But it, you know, we had a, we had to have a code. She'd say, I'm going to go out for a breath of fresh air. <laughs> She'd go out right. smoke. But you know, Absolutely. that was her medicine. And they were amazed that she was in and out as fast as she was because she was pretty sick and it was the glue she needed to keep her together. And then she was able to get what she needed and then go home and continue to heal. And, the, that, and if you, you listen to, you know, I don't know what do you call you know, science and doctors out there, they say, well, that's just an anecdotal case, yeah. but there are so many anecdotal cases that are like this. I mean, I'm sure that you could talk about some of your other patients that in a generalized way, of course, I mean, want to, want to, want to protect their, their identity, but why don't you tell me about a couple other patients that maybe you've worked with, with cannabis and how it's helped them. Absolutely. So a lot of real world evidence, actually, Elizabeth and I are writing a book now called unspoken cures, and it's about the cancer business and all of the other modalities that haven't been talked about or research or brought to public light. So a lot of the patients, I used to be an oncology nurse, pediatric nurse doing chemotherapy in the home. And so I know for a fact that if these patients had cannabis as medicine, they would have had a huge difference. So one of the patients I'm going to tell you about was really a miraculous story. She was my first hospice patient. I presented at hospice. I got a call from hospice about a patient and she's actually um, been on my podcast. So she was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. She was unable to unresectable tumor, failed chemo, failed radiation on a whole host of pharmaceuticals. She got her medical cannabis card. Her family bought her all this cannabis. They didn't know how to use it. Went to her house and basically I worked with her. You know, where are you at? Tell me what you're looking for. And so it's really about meeting patients where they're at. She just wanted to have, have some pain-free moments, be lucid. She accepted the fact that she was gonna die. So we came up with a, a plan for her and, and the, patient, the family was calling up. She's doing great. She's feeling good. I said, okay, call me if you need anything. Well, four months later, I got a call from her and she said, Sherry, I'm, I'm in the oncology office. They can't find the cancer anymore. I said, what do you mean they can't find the cancer anymore? She goes, it's gone. They, they've done all kinds of scans and they, they, can't, they can't believe it. Is it a miracle? And I said, no, it's medicine. It's science. 
And so, you know, looking at the apoptosis, anti-proliferative, anti-angiogenic, right, and anti-metastatic, this is what this did. She had just enough cannabis to allow her body to wake up and do its job in killing the cancer. So this is an amazing and This is validatable because I think that was it last year, February of last year out of Australia, there was a study that came out that confirmed that THC and other minor cannabinoids literally impacted pancreatic cancer differently than any other treatment that they have found anywhere in the world. There's, there's several papers that are written on that. Yeah, I, I, I truly believe it. And specifically what cannabinoids can do if you use it in conjunction with chemotherapy, it's almost as if the cannabinoids help get the cell ready for the chemotherapy to attack. But anyways, the whole bottom line with her was that she was on literally in a wheelchair, couldn't eat on death's door. Now she's alive and thriving. She went to Italy to visit her family. Then, this is interesting, she called me a year later and she goes, guess what? My husband had thyroid cancer. I put him on the exact same thing that you gave me. And guess what? He's cured too. <laughs> wow. 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 I, I think we're going to wake up and understand that, you know, again, rather than fight it. And, you know, this is, this has been something that's been fought for many reasons, because I think in some ways, you know, I consider it, I call it an enslavement tool because, you know, it's been utilized over the course of the last 90 years in America to make sure that they keep certain groups of people in prison um, versus others. Um, you know, until we get some of this old guard, hateful, racist people off the planet and out of the way, I think we're going to continue to be fighting this uphill battle. But, you know, we got about four or five years where a lot of these guys are going to step down yeah. and, and open the door to people like yourself who recognize that there's an opportunity. Do you think the medical community at large will start to embrace cannabis yeah. as a viable option? Yes. You do? It's, yes, I do. It's just, like I said, it's just a matter of time. It's going to reach a critical mass in the community. You know, we have all of these nurses now that are, you know, putting up clinics. We have a clinic. Our clinic is, is expanding globally. And basically, it's just a matter of time before there's a critical mass where it's going to be, okay, this has to happen. You know, we're, we're building an ecosystem for patients, for providers, for people to get information and education that they need so they can make choices that are best for them, right? One, one last story I want to share, which I think is another good one, and this has to do with religion and spirituality. So I have been taking care of a nun since 2017, and she came to me um, with complex regional pain syndrome. She was on 400 micrograms of fentanyl every 36 hours. Now, for those right. of you who don't know that, I was, an, I was an intensive care unit nurse. 400 micrograms of fentanyl would keep someone under anesthesia for at least 12 hours. I'm not kidding. Seriously, deadly doses. So she came on board and wanted to use cannabis as medicine. She came off of her fentanyl over the course of a year and a half doing really well, back to life, back to the church. And so I had her on the podcast. And the reason why I had her on the podcast was because my mother blocked me on Facebook and wrote me out of her will because it was Irish Catholic, very strict. So this is this. these are where these compelling stories that you share, Montel, are so powerful. So having Sister Suzanne on, she shared her compelling story of healing, what it meant to you know get off of these pharmaceuticals, how her life has improved. And at the end of the podcast, I said, Sister Suzanne, with all due respect, this question is for my mother and other people that are plagued with stigma around the whole religious piece of using cannabis as medicine. I said, what would Jesus say? 
<laughs> I was gonna, I'm glad you just said that because I have said that on this podcast probably 70 times. People don't understand. We had the wise men, you know, right? Right. The three of them. What did they take to the baby Jesus? What were they taking to babies all over the planet back then? It was a cannabinoid-based plant. Why? Because babies were colicky. Babies had to suck in dust and dirt. And so how did you keep a baby calm? They utilize incense. That that incense that was burning in, in the baby Jesus's little yeah. what? wasn't incense. Let's get the let's get that right. Yeah. But go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah. It's a combination of different things. So but this this is the part that's so important is because this information, like I said, the cognitive dissonance. So my mother couldn't hear it from me. I'd send her every research study, every podcast I did, couldn't hear it from me. But at the end I said, Sister Suzanne, what would Jesus say? These are for all the people that are plagued with stigma. And she held up her finger and she goes, Sherry, Jesus would say, what the frig did it take you so long to use this God-given plant that I created for you? It would be a sin for us not to use it. So, and it was that story that I sent to my mother and it reached her. It took a month, but my mother reached out to me and said, okay, what's the gateway? <laughs> and then now right. my mother is using cannabis as medicine um, and having great results as well. So now you have also been dabbling in, or not dabbling, I shouldn't say that way. You've been doing some research on and looking at psychedelics, right? You're part of a member of the International Association of Psychedelic Nurses. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about your experience and let's, so people can understand what kind of psychedelics are we talking about? Are you talking about um, uh, ketamine? Or are you talking about psilocybin? Or are you talking about which ones? I'm talking about all of them. Okay. So basically, I was, I was trained with Keta MD. Keta MD is run is out in Miami and they're doing home ketamine treatments with ketamelts under the tongue with nurses leading the sessions. So I was trained to do that. I've also been trained by a couple of practitioners in the Massachusetts area. I'd like to keep their names quiet because it is under And so they're shamans and they're from indigenous and they've traveled the world and they are creating these medicines and helping people on these transformational journeys. You know, psilocybin is something that we've been doing as nurses, um, creating the education and the information around it and how to use it safely, whether it be using it, taking it for having a large trip, as they call it, or microdosing, and looking at how and why someone might want to use that and how to do it safely. So if you're going to be using any type of psychedelics for therapy, whether it be, you know, what, what, what do we use it for? Chronic reality, addiction, anxiety, depression, agoraphobia, panic disorder, PTSD. Um, it can be used for these things where people are in therapy for years and years and years and years on multiple pharmaceuticals. They've exhausted it and they're tired. And so to be able to see how this can impact someone's life so quickly is mind blowing. Especially from the micro, a lot of people think that you have to, to, to get the benefits out of psychedelics, you have to do a trip. And that's not necessarily true at all. I'm working with a couple of them. I discussed with a, a person who owns a ketamine center in California, uh, the fact that they're starting to get some incredible results from even microdosing ketamine and really, really microdosing, truly microdosing, where that the full-blown trippy experience doesn't happen, but there is a readjustment, a realignment that happens that doesn't happen with any other drug. Yes. So microdosing is actually taking small doses below the threshold of being impaired 
or not being able to function. And it can be different for everyone. And endocannabinoid system care is really, really important for that. You know, and, and there's different protocols that are out there. There's the Fadiman protocol, and it's one day on, two days off, one day on, two days off. And so what we've seen with a lot of patients is their ability building their resilience, okay? It's really about building resilience and processing emotion. One of the most difficult things we have to do as human beings is what? Feel our feelings and process them in a healthy way where we're not hurting ourselves or someone else, right? And so psychedelics are a really, really great tool, helps people to pull out and have the, that bigger vision, you know, that, that global vision of what's going on and to helps them to have those aha moments when things just made sense. So for me, cannabis saved my life. Psychedelics got me living again. And yeah. Unbelievable. Well, you know, now it's really interesting though, how we've gone, well, we've gone the same amount of time um, um, poo-pooing and, and trying to invalidate uh, psychedelics, but then seems like in the last couple of years, psychedelics have hit the ground and hit the ground running because it seems as if, you know, science has said, you know, there's really something truly here, but not like that cannabis stuff. Yeah. I, I don't understand how one can buy one and not buy the other. Well, here's the reason why. Well, first of all, prohibition with cannabis, as we go, it's it's been going on for a long time. Ketamine is actually FDA approved. It's a pharmaceutical that is used as, a, as, as an animal tranquilizer, particularly horses, and he's used in pediatric anesthesia. And at low doses, it's a dissociative and people can actually have amazing experiences. And so it helps people to pull out. It helps to work on this area of your brain called the lateral habenula to get you out of that spiral, that loop that people that have PTSD that are in helps to quiet down helps neuroplasticity. So the right side and the left side of your brain can start to communicate better. And it helps to create what we call new dendrites, right? So we are neurogenesis, creating new brain cells to help people have the agency to make changes to benefit them so they can do what? Live their best life, right? <laughs> right, right. Well, that's a very interesting. Now, what are some of the important considerations patients should consider when they're choosing a cannabis as a treatment option, or even uh, one of the psychedelics? Okay, so when it comes to using cannabis as medicine, my, my big educational teaching point is looking at risk-benefit ratio. What are you looking to treat, right? Um, what methods of administration are you interested in? What is your cannabis experience? Have you ever had any bad cannabis experiences? What types of products have you tried before? So I always like to start off there. And oftentimes I really love patients to start off with CBD because CBD to me is the great influencer. I call it the pinball wizard, right? It activates over 70 targets in our body. It indirectly impacts the cannabinoid CB1 and CB2 receptors. It helps dial down psychoactivity of THC without taking away the medicinal effect. CBD comes in three different forms. You can get the isolated version, which is just the isolated single molecule. You can get a broad spectrum product, which is whole plant, terpenes, zero THC, or you can get the full spectrum, whole plant, including the trace amounts of THCs that it's legal. So literally when people are brand new to it, you know, it's like, okay, let's start off slow, start low, go slow, and let's see how your body responds. Absolutely. Well, anything else, if people want to get more information from you directly, where can they go? They can go to holisticcaring.com. 
um, www.holisticcaring.com. And when you when you click on the web page, what we do have is we have a free network that is run by nurses and our pharmacist. And so in the network, we have a free introductory to cannabis course, patient portal, support, all of our webcasts and podcasts are there. And so it's a really, really rich environment where people can go. It's off of social media. It's safe. And they have the ability to interact with patients and providers across the globe. And, and what's your podcast again? My podcast is called The Green Nurse Podcast. And, it, and we do weekly podcasts. We've taken a break for, for a good reason because we're actually produ producing a documentary. Um, and then I do clinical conversations monthly. And basically it's on YouTube and it's on the Green Nurse channel. And what we're doing is we're here to decrease stigma around what it means to feel good and be high, right? And so I like people to think of the word high as H is for hope. I is for inspiration, G is for growth, and H is for healing, because that's the first thing that cannabis brings so many people is hope. And then the inspiration, they're inspired, they're in spirit, they're filled with the, the plant medicine. And once they're inspired, they've they're compelled to grow, right? Growing is an action word, doing something different. And healing isn't the absence of illness or disease, but it's doing the best you can with what you have right here, right now. And cannabis is available for those that are open to it. Excellent. Well, Sherry, I can't thank you enough for being a part of the show today and sharing us what you have. And I'd love to have you back at some point in time. Yeah, I would absolutely love to because I we love to teach and educate and, you know, looking at different systems of the body and what you can do, you know, not without cannabis to stimulate the endocannabinoid system, what products you might like to use, the different methods of administration. So I would love to come on and to continue to teach and educate with you. It's definitely my passion and I'm honored to be here. Thank you. No, thank you so much. And, you know, here, before we go, I, I want to just ask you, what do you, what do you think the next couple of years look like when it comes to cannabis? Uh, you know, because, I mean, we've talked about it quite a bit, though there are some in your profession who are open to learning, open to understanding that, you know, we don't know everything but from a couple of years of college. We continue to learn as we get older and we continue to learn as we just develop as human beings. But there are others who are so shut off that they don't want to learn. And I think that's where we're, we're right at the middle of the battleground right now between those who want to learn and, and share the information that they know and others who are trying to shut that down because they think that they're going to lose something. I don't know what they think they're going to lose, but they're going to lose something. If we allow that cannabis to come in, that, that means that, of course, what happens? People get off some of these other ridiculous pharmaceuticals that they don't need to be on. So I think that's part of the dollar sign thing is the biggest reason. But I mean, what do you think? What do you think the next couple of years look like? Put on a crystal ball. What have you thought? What do you think next year, two years, three years? Okay. So what I'll, I'll tell you from my perspective, what I'm really excited about is we're building an app. We are building an app to help patients track their use in the different products that they're using. And so what, what I see is we were going to be real world evidence is evidence and real world evidence is what needs to be fueling clinical trials. So if you're seeing things over and over again, if I'm seeing 10 pediatric kids that have glioblastoma having the same results with the same formulations, we need to study that, right? So basically, no longer yeah, so I see over time as real world evidence starts to evolve, we're going to be able to do more clinical trials and having more clinical trials, because basically that's what the medical community wants to see. They want to see more clinical trials, not just in the Petri dish, but you know, it's the double blind placebo human <laughs> clinical trials, which is really, really hard to do. Specific which is also something I think that, this, that, that the pharmaceutical industry set up I know. 
to make things impossible to get past. I, I just think that's bullshit, to be honest with you. Go ahead. No, no, I completely agree with you. So I, I'm just seeing like if we have a critical mass in the community of people that are talking about it, it's the real world evidence. It's a paper, people powered progressive movement of gathering evidence and being able to present it to, to, to take a deeper dive and study. Um, and, and I just think that it, it, it's going to happen. It's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. Yeah. Gotcha. Absolutely. And I hope you're absolutely right because I believe the same thing. I think it will eventually happen. But from my perspective, I think we just got to get some of these old farts out of the way. And I'm one of those old farts. But, but some of these people who've had this, this stigma thought process for years are never going to change. We, there are certain people out there that you cannot convinced that cannabis works. And then there are others who are willing to say, well, you know, you might be right. Well, I think that right now, those who can, who are convinced that they want to make sure that they continue to see their pharma dollars come through their campaign coffers, they're going to be the ones that are going to fight this the hardest. And then eventually, as this industry grows and understands that we have to be participants in that same format, and, you know, when cannabis starts funding some of these politicians, I think we'll start to see some of those politicians change their tune. Yeah, I agree with you. And it's, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a journey. So we just keep advocating. We're activists. We're educators. We care. And, you know, we're here to hold people's hands until they're ready to let go. Seriously, it's a plant. Absolutely. It's safe. It's never killed anyone. But, you know, you, you need to learn how to use it appropriately. And that's what we do. We teach safe consumption for whatever you are looking to create in your life. And the last point that you made earlier, I think, is a point that maybe we'll go and end on, is that it's not necessarily for everyone. No. I mean, cannabis will work for the majority of people out there if they go into it the right way. Mm -hmm. But there will be a small group of people that it will not affect the way we want it to. Yeah. That's life. There are some people who are allergic to water. I mean, you know, let's just get that as a fact. There are people who are allergic to their own tears, burns their skin. That's something that nature put out there. But I also believe that, you know, I believe that if we listen to who we consider the smartest man of the last century, Albert Einstein, for every action is an equal and opposite reaction. So therefore, that plant was put on this planet to be the opposite reaction to something else. So that's why when it comes to pancreatic cancer, they've thrown tons of crap at it nothing has seemed to be able to win that battle. Then all of a sudden, over the course of the last couple of years, we start hearing more and more stories about people who win their battle against pancreatic cancer using cannabis. You can't tell me that that's an N of one because now it's like an N of 500 mm -hmm. or a thousand. Mm -hmm. So therefore there's something legitimate here. Yeah, I completely agree with you. And one other quick question. So, or quick statement was when I went to see my gastroenterologist and I was doing better and, you know, I was telling him about cannabis as medicine. And he goes, oh, you just don't, you're just high all the time. That, that's what, it just doesn't bother you anymore. And so, you know, literally I did a PowerPoint presentation and brought it to him. How we have cannabinoid receptors on our gastrointestinal tract. Our endocannabinoid system is the system that connects our enteric nervous system to our central nervous system. So literally, it's just the education. We just have to keep educating. And, and also, too, one of the other things is I do have compassion for health professionals that don't know about this, because when I learned about it and I started doing this, I got embarrassed. <laughs> I was embarrassed. I was like, how could I not know this? 
You know, how right. I have been kept in the dark. And I'm so sad that I had to get sick and was had to suffer, but that's why I'm doing what I'm doing. No one deserves to suffer. Everyone deserves to have a high quality of life. Absolutely. And it's not your fault. So thank you so much, Sherry Tuckus, for being a part of the show today. I'd love to have you back at another time. We'll keep in touch. And anytime you want to come back and chop it up, I'd love to be able to do it with you. Okay. Good. Thank you. One more time, give throw out those digits where people want to get a hold of you. How do they do it? www.holisticcaring.com. Okay, there you go. You heard it here. And so make sure you tune in to this and all of our episodes of Let's Be Blunt. But this was an amazing conversation. Thank you so much, my dear. You be well. Take care of yourself. And we'll see you next time. Thanks for joining me on Let's Be Blunt with Montel. Please make sure you're subscribed and hit the bell to be notified when new episodes post each week. We'd love to hear your feedback also. So please send us your comments. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. I'm Larry Mishkin, and I'd like to invite you to join Rob Hunt and me on our weekly podcast, The Deadhead Cannabis Show. Each week, we explore the latest cannabis and jam band news and reminisce with other deadheads and jam band lovers about the great musical acts that we've seen and heard. Check out a new episode every Monday.